Hello. Welcome back to Some Prose in a Poem, the podcast where I talk about prose, things I'm reading, and wrap it up with a poem. So today I am going to be discussing transition. And I think I'm going to title this podcast, Liminal Times and Spaces. I feel like that's where we are. I think we've been there since three years ago, since the pandemic began. But I feel like we are kind of in limbo in transition, if that makes sense. And so welcome. If you are a new subscriber, welcome to uh, Some Pros in a Poem. What I will be doing going forward is releasing the full video of the podcast for my paid subscribers a few days early. So they will get um, access to earlier content, among other things that are coming down the pike. So if you're a paid subscriber, thank you so much. If you're a free subscriber, thank you as well for subscribing and listening to this podcast. So I thought I would begin the discussion about transition, change, shift, adaptation, liminal times and spaces with Howard Thurman. I've been reading a lot of Howard Thurman. I have several of his books. Um, One of them is Howard Thurman, Essential Writings, selected with an introduction by Luther E. Smith, where this is um, pulled from some of his books. And this is Howard Thurman here. Um, But the book I will be using is today to talk about some things is Meditations of the Heart with Howard Thurman. And I have a couple of copies of this book. This newer copy has um, Alice Walker has a quote on it. In those long midnight hours, when morning seems weeks away, the words of Howard Thurman have kept watch with me. Okay, so that's Meditations of the Heart, Howard Thurman. And so in these liminal times and spaces, this kind of boundary, these edges, he has several, several meditations, um, passages to consider when we are thinking about focusing on the heart. One of those passages is titled, Work and Rest are One Entity. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'll just kind of go through some of the sentences. The most inward man lives his life in these two ways, namely in work and in rest. And in each, he is whole and undivided, for he is holy in God because he rests in fruition, and he is holy in himself because he loves in activity. And he is perpetually called and urged by God to renew both the rest and the work. We are accustomed to recognizing the interplay between work and rest in making for healthy living. This is expressed in many ways. We know that we cannot keep our bodies going if we do not refuel by eating and by sleeping. Over and over again, we provide for a change of pace in our life routine to the end that we shall not burn out or rust out. Even casual reflection would lead one to recognize that a very urgent function of the quiet time is to provide a breather for the spirit, opportunity for catching up, reorganizing, and reevaluating the endless activities in which we are involved daily and hourly. Careful 
provision must be made for rest, for quiet, for prayer, and for renewal. This not as something other than activity and function, but rather as that which is an integral part of the religious life itself. When we function, we are enjoined to function wholly, bringing into the deeds the wisdom and the insight of the quiet and the pause. When we rest, we are enjoined to rest wholly, bringing into the quiet time the sense of doing and participating in the activities that claim our energies. So there are two things of contention here. Um, for me, just I like to just debate and talk about things. So that one passage, we are accustomed to recognizing the interplay between work and rest in making for healthy living. We are not accustomed to that balance. We are not. We are not <clears throat> accustomed to recognizing why the interplay between work and rest and making for healthy living is important. We are not accustomed to that. We have been indoctrinated, trained, brainwashed to work, 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 work for the system. This is my opinion, working for the system, work, work, work. So where do we get to rest? Where do we get to play? He quotes the saying, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And we've heard that before. Um, yes. And yet we do it. We work. And we often conflate our work with rest or play. Even, and this is a delicate balance here, because we could really enjoy our work. I enjoy a lot of what I do. As a yoga therapist, as a writer, as a, a Reiki practitioner, I enjoy a lot of what I do. I still need boundaries. I still need to have in my mind's eye this passage. We are accustomed to recognizing the interplay between work and rest and making for healthy living. I don't think we, we should have learned something from the pandemic in that way. We don't need to be in traffic for three hours to get to a building to do work often. We don't need to work 10 hour days, 12 hour days, 16 hour days. We don't know how to balance that. We don't. And the other contention, it's not really contention, he says, uh, but rather as that which is an integral part of the religious life itself, speaking about the provision uh, of rest for quiet, for prayer, and for renewal. I would switch that up, and this is Howard Thurman. He's a theologian um, with spirituality, even though I think spirituality is often flippantly used, overused, underused, because I don't consider myself to be religious. And so I'm drawn to his writings because he, I believe, understands the calling of our hearts. I mean, I think this is why it's called meditations of the hearts. How do we look inward? How do we focus on the inside so that, that we can blossom outwardly? Often in yoga, we 
talk about body, mind, and spirit. And one of my mentors says yoga has to be looked at from the inside out, yoga from the inside out. So we're looking at spirit and then mind, wisdom, and then maybe the body, looking at it from the inside. I think that's going to help us going forward as we, even post-pandemic, post-endemic, begin to look at why we're still burnt out, why we're still exhausted, why we're so damn tired. Didn't we learn anything from being forced to be still, being forced to be introspective, being forced to rest. Didn't we learn anything? That's that's kind of where I am. And so another reflection that Thurman speaks to is in the section when the strain is heaviest. I think we're all under strain, whether we think we are or not different levels of strain, different levels of stress. But this poem, it's, it's lovely and I will read it. At times when the strain is heaviest upon us and our tired nerves cry out in many tongued pain because the flow of love is choked far below the deep recesses of the heart. We seek with cravings firm and hard the strength to break the dam, that we may live again in love's warm stream. We want more love and more and more until at last we are restored and made anew, or so it seems. When we are closer drawn to God's great light and in its radiance stand revealed, the meaning of our need informs our minds. More love, we cried as if love could be weighted, measured, bundled, tied. As if with perfect wisdom, we could say to one, a little love, to another, an added portion, and on and on until all depths were paid, with no one left behind. But now we see the tragic blunder of our cry, not for more love, our hungry cravings seek, but more power to love, to put behind the tender feeling, the understanding heart, the boundless reaches of the Father's care, makes love eternal, always kindled, always new. This becomes the eager meaning of the aching heart, the bitter cry, the anguish call, when the strain is heaviest. We're all calling out for more love, more, more, more. And love is there. Love is, is energy. And energy cannot be created nor destroyed. So I believe that we have to start with cultivating that ourselves. What I saw during this pandemic was were, were two things. Um, really a deep loneliness with my single friends, my married friends, you realize, you know, even in relationships, you're lonely. Jill Scott has this song, uh, I'm lonely whenever you're around, which I think is brilliant because you could be with somebody and still be lonely. 
What I noticed though, was that the way that people acted moves through that loneliness, very deliberate and not cautious. And it's interesting, people got pets, people had tried long distance relationships, some of whom they're they're still in those. People really were lonely. That loneliness was expressed, even if they weren't. They were saying, "Well, I'm not lonely. I have a full life." But I'm I'm looking at your actions, right? <laughs> I'm looking at how you're moving, your actions, and not necessarily the not denial of what was happening around us, but really not even if you thought you were going to get COVID or get sick, but the moment to sit your behind down, as my mother would say, the moments to just be still with yourself. And it's amazing how many people didn't want to be with themselves or their family members, as was also the case. So I, I, I just reflect upon these strains that um, people were dealing with you know, strains of being in a relationship, strain of not being in a relationship, the uh, the heaviness, the strain, the stress of being lonely. Loneliness will kill you. Loneliness will take you out. And how people were moving through loneliness uh, during the pandemic and even post-pandemic, very carelessly, very flippantly, very desperately, I mean, we we strain for love. We we want more love. And it's in us. It's in us. And once you realize it's in us, the light will light up and it will attract people, I believe. So from Howard Thurman, I'm going to read a final passage. There's so many good ones in this book. I really had a hard time paring this down for what I wanted to talk about as it relates to liminal times and spaces. And this one is titled, If I Knew You. William Penn wrote, neither despise nor oppose what thou dost not understand. Thurman says, he might have added, not approve, what thou dost not understand. It is very easy to pretend to understand what one does not understand. Often the degree to which we oppose a thing marks the degree to which we do not understand it. Sometimes we use our opposition to an idea to cover up our own ignorance. We express our dislike for things, sometimes for people, when we do not understand the things we pretend to dislike, when we do not know the people for whom we have the antagonism. We saw a lot of this antagonistic strain, stress being played out these past three, four years. I actually think this will continue. And then there's a little poem in the middle of this prose. If I knew you and you knew me, and each of us could clearly see 
by that inner light divine, the meaning of your heart and mind. I'm sure that we would differ less and clasp our hands in friendliness if you knew me and I knew you. One has a price to pay. One has to pay a price for understanding. One has to work hard and carefully before one arrives at an understanding of them. This takes time. There must be a will to understand, which informs the integrity of one's desire to understand. How many people were going back and forth? I'm going to get the shot. I'm not going to get the shot. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. It's, it's really, it's a lack of understanding. Sometimes we use our own, we use our opposition to an idea to cover up our own ignorance. Those who seek to understand others fully learn about those folks, learn. They spend time in the mud and the muck. And that's what's lacking. We don't spend time, we, we disagree, and then we just get on social media and voice our opinions about how we disagree with no evidence or facts or, or real research, because, I mean, people think Google and YouTube are research. No, no, brothers and sisters, no. <laughs> research is research. I'm talking about getting at least three peer-reviewed scholarly articles, books, reading, studying. You might surprise yourself and realize, oh, there's an opinion here, there's opinion there. That as, adds on to the strain. That has us, I believe, kind of in limbo, in liminal time and space. We are in transition, but we're in, it's like we're in the eye of the storm. And the storm is all around us. We're in the eye. We're close to the edge of the eye. We don't want to go through the storm to get out of it. Right? Uh, okay. Let's see. Well, I changed my mind. I want to read one more passage. There's so many good ones here. And this hopefully will bring us back to this idea of transition, liminal times and spaces, and how we can move through the eye of the storm. Move through our traumas and triggers, move through our disagreements around understanding and ignorance and learning and relearning and unlearning by remembering. The season of remembrance. Again and again it comes, the time of recollection, the season of remembrance. Empty vessels of hope fill up again. Forgotten treasures of dreams reclaim their place. Long lost memories come trooping back to me. This is my season of remembrance, my time of recollection. Into the challenge of my anguish, I throw the strength of all my hope. 
I matched the darts of my despair with the treasures of my dreams. Upon the current of my heart, I float the burdens of the years. I challenge the mind of death with my love of life. Such to me is the time of recollection, the season of remembrance. Do you know who you are? Going back to that passage. Can you truly revel in who you are? Can you begin to remember? Can you seek to understand? Through that remembrance and through self-study, self-discipline, tapas and svadhyaya for my yoga folks, can you create in this liminal time and space your own season of remembrance? Thank you for listening to me today. Thank you to all my subscribers. Have a blessed one.